From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. Often when you jump into something or you're considering jumping into something, there are so many facets of that that it seems overwhelming because there are so many different parts that have to be taken care of and juggled all at once. But I really do believe in taking the first step towards something. Don't do it all at once. Just do one thing and get that mastered. And then you can kind of build upon that. Frederick Buechner says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. My guest today is Paige Cheneau. She is the founder of The Birthday Party Project, but she's a lot more than that. And I'm convinced by the time this little podcast is complete, you will be inspired. Inspired not just to do more with work you're into right now, but to think beyond that work, to think about your talent and how that talent can connect the dots to projects that are bigger than ourselves. Paige Chanel, welcome to Converge. Hey, Dane. Thanks so much for having me today. It is such a gift on several levels. You know, I have guests on all the time that I've met in various contexts, and we might be professional colleagues or have seen each other at an event or something. In your case, all those things are true, but I feel a unique connection with you. You're you're somebody who I have such esteem for and am so honored to call a friend and I'm just so impressed with the, the work that you've done. I am so excited for our listeners to hear more from you today. But it's interesting. There's also a lot of folks that don't know who you are unless they've read about you in Glamour Magazine or, or seen you here, there, and everywhere on the interwebs. But for those of you who don't know about Paige Cheneau or the Birthday Party Project, will you share a little bit, like a, the 120-second version of how you got from there to here? Absolutely. I actually started my career in event planning. It was an opportunity that I had to plan someone's wedding and I fell into this incredible business. And so what started as planning a friend's wedding actually turned into at some point managing, you know, multi-million dollar event in a single year. I did that for about a decade and really loved and enjoyed every ounce of that. But then I kind of wrestled with this calling to do more. And it was kind of this like fire in my belly moment that I realized that I could use the talents that I had from planning meaningful events, weddings, bar and bat mitzvahs, birthday parties. I could take all of that that I had been given and that I had refined over the years. And I could use that in a way to give to other people, specifically kids. I got really energized by this idea of being able to throw birthday parties for children that might not otherwise ever feel celebrated. So in these moments of wrestling with this, the Birthday Party Project was born. And the Birthday Party Project, we partner with homeless shelters and transitional living facilities, and we host birthday parties for all of the kids that are staying at those facilities. I get the impression that you have learned how to share in detail that story and also what you guys are in nonprofit work coming from for-profit work. How has the transition been and, and how is it that, like when I think about you raising money from customers, giving you 
tons of dough to put on these big events. Those are super exciting things. But now you're in a nonprofit space where you are actually telling the story like you just did now in a way that people have to kind of get it instantly and try to get their head around what you actually do. But in a nutshell, what I'm hearing you say is you had this talent around planning events that were not just logistically putting something on, but designing an experience that could transform people's moment and have it be remarkably memorable. And you're taking that set of skills and now applying it to the folks that would never have a party thrown for them otherwise. And they themselves aren't the least and the lowest, but in our culture, they can often be treated like they are. And you have broken into that space and are throwing a party just for the sake of throwing a party. Am I hearing you right? Yes, that's exactly right. What you said is is true. I think that celebrations by themselves are incredibly powerful moments. I think that these are opportunities for communities to come together, whether it is a wedding or a mitzvah or a birthday party at a homeless shelter. All of these are single opportunities to connect with people. And I, I find those to be incredibly meaningful and incredibly powerful Regardless of the setting, really, I mean, yes, there is a huge difference between, you know, these sometimes lavish events that we used to, you know, be a part of to something that in my eyes is not necessarily lavish or over the top. But for those that we are celebrating, that is the single greatest moment of some of their lives, you know, and so something as simple as the balloons um, can create a huge impact and can build so much joy from just that one single moment. Yes. And what I found is, is the conversation, something that you said earlier, the, the conversation between, you know, asking and soliciting money for my services was more about me and the talent that I had and the skills that I could give to my clients and the value that I could offer them in the process. And now having the conversations, nothing is about me. You know, it's all about our our birthday enthusiasts. Those are our volunteers. It's about impacting the, the children that we are celebrating with and the children that we are celebrating, the parents that are involved in those celebrations. And so being able to just kind of describe those moments to people and how they unfold, it's magic. And so it actually is much easier for me to talk to people about the birthday party project than it ever was for me to, you know, sell the value that I could provide to clients. It's interesting when I think about the folks at home listening, and I get, you know, we, we get in these conversations all the time. In fact, I should give a quick shout out. You and I first met context wise was around the Engage Summit and these engaging concepts conferences that have become legend in the luxury wedding space. And when I think about those, our colleagues in that group, they really are putting on, for folks who are, have never been to a, an event that costs like 250000 to $10 million for an event or, or whatever the number is, it's just kind of a, an astronomical number. These parties actually do happen in the real world. But like you said, the at-stakeness that you need to be to play at that level is pretty amazing. And you were competing in that space and you were doing really, really well. But I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that when the conversation ceased to be about you and your talent, and all of a sudden you were selling a bigger why, a bigger idea, that somehow it gets easier for you. And also, as I've seen it happen, it's been easier for other people to rally around the project that you're doing. It just seems like a lot of folks are paying attention to what you're doing these days. And when I think about the folks at home who are listening, I got to wonder for those of you who are like resisting, like you, you really have a hard time selling your own talent and you maybe you're playing a smaller game. Could there be opportunities for folks to 
participate in projects where it's just less about them, but they still get the same kind of flourishing and benefit from exercising those gifts, but in a context where it's less about them and more about a bigger project. Talk a little bit about that dynamic and how you would talk to a friend about it who really wrestled with how they're trying to sell their own services and what they could do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm nodding my head as you're speaking because, I, you know, on both sides of this equation have been just great learning lessons. I've learned so many lessons through the years. And I will have to say, going back just for a moment to engaging concepts and being an entrepreneur, you know, and competing in this space, my goodness, like that is effort and work and important all in itself. And what I know about the creative community specifically is that we all tend to be fairly self less. We all tend to put ourselves out there for a lot of other people and for the sake of others on a daily basis. And that grind, it can be energizing um, because I think that so many of us really love to see others shine. And that's when, you know, the photographers and artists and planners and baker, I mean, all of that space specifically talking to the engaged community, um, that is a tremendous gift that they have been given to be able to serve themselves and spend themselves for other people. And there's no shame in making money, you know, and doing so. And on the other side of it, you know, wrestling with how they can continue to spend themselves for others in other ways that aren't necessarily so, oh, what's the word? Sometimes it can be so taxing to continue to kind of play in that same, it's, it could be a little bit monotonous, but. Especially, especially when it doesn't, it's not just like your first year or your second year or your third year. It's like you're, you're 10, you're, you're, you know, seven or 15, like it's. This is service-based business, serving people all the time, where there's a mechanism where there's a profit motive connected to it. It really can feel like a grind. And this is true in every service professional I know at some point goes, really have to bake another cake? Really have to shoot another wedding? And not that they don't love shooting or they don't like baking. It's just, it's become a job at some point. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. What, What started for most of us as a passion and and for a lot of us starts as this passion, this energy behind it. Absolutely. When you sit down and you have to do your numbers and, you know, go to an accountant and spend lots of hours in the same meetings, having the same conversations, but with new people, sometimes it's hard to remember that those that we're interacting with are doing things for the very first time. And we're often on the other side saying, gosh, I've been doing this, like you said, for those 10 years. I think that oftentimes, especially for creatives, those of us in creative space, we are energized by new ideas. And there are so many of us that have those new ideas and we, and we tend to wrestle with them, or at least I do. And they spin in my mind, you know, for, for months and weeks um, before I ever decide if I'm going to act on them. Sometimes that's based from, you know, that comes from fear. Some of it's a lack of time or a lack of willingness to set aside the time to plan. But I, but I often know that that, you know, is what keeps me going is kind of those new ideas. And the birthday party project for me was that. And I found that that was so energizing and I became really passionate about that specifically about being able to celebrate kids and throwing these birthday parties and doing what I, what I love, but doing it in a new way. There was a lot of intimidation with that, of course, and a lot of uncertainty. But I think that as we are wrestling with these ideas and this passion and this intuition, gut feelings, you know, it's important to remember that they're there for a reason and we should act on those impulses. I believe that everyone should act on their impulses like that. Absolutely. Now, that's striking to me. So acting on impulse, I I think, would it be fair to say that some people are more trustworthy than others on those 
impulse reading? <laughs> like, it seems like there are some impulses that maybe we ought not to act on. But how do you tell the difference? Like, when is it a good impulse? And when is it a bad impulse? Well, that's just it. Like, and part of me says you really don't know until you've tried. And obviously, impulse can go a lot of different ways. I, I, <laughs> I, I hear you on that. I think I come from a jump first, learn next type of place. And that's how it's always been. When I started my business, I jumped first and then I figured it out along the way. You know, building a plane while it's flying um, is not necessarily the right way to build a plane. But I will say that it has worked well for me um, because I can put people around me that can teach me as I'm going. So, you know, going back to that, you're right. For me, it's that that instinct that comes with that fire that doesn't go away, that kind of, you know, when your brain is turning on these ideas and you have this excitement and enthusiasm behind an idea, I feel like that's when you should take the leap. Um, I think some ideas fizzle and fade. I, I think it's very difficult to discern what's right and what's the right timing. Absolutely. But I personally would rather live as fearless as possible and, you know, as we're learning and as we're building and as we're like refining that, I think that's when we learn, okay, let's step back from this. This wasn't quite the direction we should go or gosh, this is really working. I'm going to continue to move forward in, the, in that direction and kind of be a little more focused along the way. So I want to talk specifically about the results. So like with your business in particular, the first business, <laughs> these were not insignificant numbers. I mean, you, you had a team you were doing pretty extraordinary level of work. And then you made this pretty massive leap. And I'm sure a lot of folks, when you made the leap said, what are you doing? Like, you're crazy. At least that's what I make up in my head. Either they were saying that to your face or they were saying it on the side. But then all of a sudden, pretty quickly, Birthday Party Project got a lot of attention and a lot of, you got a lot of momentum. But let's get pragmatic for a second. Like, what did that feel like for you as you wandered from one to the other or went full bore from one to the other? And talk a little bit about your own existential experience of like, did you ever second guess? Did you ever find yourself going, what the heck am I doing? And how did you transition from a pretty substantive operation to a party of like one <laughs> to another substantive operation? That's a lot to talk about, but can you just share your journey a little bit in that front? When I started the event planning business, like I said, I had no idea what the heck I was doing, but I thought saying yes is where I want to be in life. I want to say yes to opportunities. And I remember thinking the only way that I will get better at planning events is if I surround myself with people that will make me better. And so I just started to learn and absorb. And for me, it's all about relationships, whether it's relationships with clients, more importantly, relationships with my colleagues, vendors that would help us produce these events and building into that and letting them know how important and how significant they are along as part of my journey. I think that that actually carried me a long way, being able to really, you know, stop and thank those that were putting every ounce of them into an event was something that I very much treasure those relationships and those friendships that I made along the way. As I continued to grow that business, I really did it in such a grassroots way. It wasn't through marketing or advertising. It's a very uncomfortable place for me to be to, you know, talk about me in that, in that way. And so instead, I just 
tried very hard to surround myself with the best of the best. And then I started competing with the best of the best. And these folks, there are many of them that are still in that space and they are producing some incredible moments for their clients. And I am so honored and proud to have been a part of their journey as well by competing alongside of them. And I would learn and absorb all I could. And I never forget the day that I I was actually pregnant with my daughter, Lizzie, at the time that the birthday party project kind of came into my mind. And I remember talking to Colin, my husband at the time, and and saying to him, I want to throw birthday parties for, for children. I want to throw birthday parties in a, for children that need it more than anyone. And I'm not sure how that looks yet, but this is something that's on my heart and I feel like I'm being called to. And he's so discerning. He said, you know what? That's great. And I think you should continue to to seek that and to really, you know, pray about that and to consider what that looks like. But you have signed up to serve your clients well. And you have over 30 events on your books right now. You are pregnant. <laughs> That's a lot going on at one time. And so now you want to take this leap into something else. And I'm really thankful that he slowed me down a little bit to consider the implications of diving into something before, I, you know, when my, my plate was way too full. And so, you know, that, that journey over the next, you know, what actually was about three years before we launched the birthday party project was flooded with taking time to learn about homelessness, taking time to understand what a nonprofit does, what it looks like, how to do one well. I surrounded myself with people that I knew could make the birthday party project great and started learning from them, diving in for the very first time ever into what does a business plan for a nonprofit look like? As I said, I typically like to just jump in and learn along the way, which I did with the birthday party project, but still we took time to understand the implications of running a great nonprofit and a poor nonprofit. And so all the while I'm serving my clients, I'm raising my child, I'm, you know, trying to be a wife and a mother and a, all a business owner and entrepreneur and start this other thing. And that's a lot. That's a lot to juggle throughout the years. What I knew is that if I was going to do the birthday party project, that I would have to say no to things to do something else well. And that was a hard transition for me because I come from a yes place of yes, yes, yes for opportunities to know people, um, to take risks. And so learning how to start saying no was, was probably the most difficult lesson in this journey for me. And when I started to say no to clients, I realized that what I was doing was kind of setting myself up for doing quality events at even a higher level than I had already been doing them. So leaving space in between to serve my family, to consider the birthday party project, and all of that felt really good and empowering. Once I learned that that space, I needed that space, um, a little bit of margin to dream and to plan. And then also just to be on as a, you know, as an entrepreneur in this space to continue doing my events well. The moment that I took the leap from planning events to birthday party project was the moment that I realized there was no turning back that my identity was no longer a Paige Chenault event, that now it was the birthday party project and she's an event planner and how are you going to juggle all that? So for a while I did both and I started to kind of, you know, do less events and do more of the birthday party project. We, we launched the birthday party projects in Dallas, Texas, and we, we made a commitment to one shelter, Family Gateway, 
And we said to them, we're going to come in January and celebrate birthdays. And we're going to do that on the third Thursday of every month for a year. And whether it's me and my family and nobody else ever comes, we're going to show up every single month for a year because we know that these children need consistency. And at that moment, I thought, gosh, that's all I'm going to do. That's all I'll sign up for. And let's just see what unfolds. And by the time, you know, month four rolls around, we're getting requests from other nonprofits and other homeless shelters in Dallas to go and throw birthday parties there. And people are starting to talk about us and we're starting to evolve into an organization that's way bigger than me and my dream. We were having volunteers and birthday enthusiasts get really excited about this idea. And lo and behold, we had no room for any of our volunteers to come and help us host parties. We were completely full. So we started adding parties. Everything that I we have done, we have done very grassroots. What grew from collecting party supplies on my front porch and housing them in my dining room, then took over, you know, our garage. And then it was, oh gosh, I need a storage space because friends were showing up. People that I asked to just you know, be alongside of me in this journey. Um, they were telling their friends and the community just continued to grow and support us in a way that I never really imagined. And through that process of us really growing and, and the birthday party project, you know, gaining such momentum and energy behind it, I realized that I wasn't focusing and doing the best that I could for my clients on the wedding side. So my nose became more frequent um, to, to my event side and the yeses became more frequent for the birthday party project. And we just continued to ride the wave up. But I will say that it's because of the relationships that I formed and that kind of brain trust your board of directors, so to speak, and not nonprofit board of directors, but your personal board of directors that really believed in us that helped energize in, um, the birthday party project to where it is today. There's so many pieces in that and what you just described, but the one that really jumps out to me speaks to something you mentioned earlier, which is really paying attention to where is their resonance in the value of what you're creating. And that came in a lot of forms. Like I think in a for-profit market, that came in the form of like, are there customers? Is my idea, is there market fit? And is anyone buying anything? And that should tell you whether or not you should try to scale up or down. And then in the nonprofit space, it's like you said, you were you were satisfied with your family and doing it and collecting stuff in the porch and that was enough. But because there was such a fit, it almost took a life on of its own and demanded that if it's going to grow, it has to take more of your energy. Am I hearing that right? Yes. Yes. And there are, there are so many facets to that. And I think, I think for me, the biggest thing was realizing it was a moment for me with the birthday party project that I I realized that we had something unique and that we had something scalable. And the only way it would scale is if I put my full attention toward it and put people around me that would make us better. And so, you know, the transition was actually over a couple of years before I completely transitioned out of my events. And over those couple of years, you know, we had the opportunity to hire on, you know, somebody to help us work on the birthday party project side. It was really important to me that if we were going to do it, we were going to do it well, because it was no longer about my name on the door. It was really about serving children and their families. And when you take on that type of risk to be consistent in these people's lives, to show up and celebrate who they are and to provide value for them and to them and about them. I mean, that's something <laughs> that's a tremendous amount of responsibility that I felt at that moment. 
So for the folks that don't feel that resonance right away or this market fit or where it was taking on a life, like what, what would you have done? Honestly, I am asking a two pronged question. One is on a personal level, what would you have done if it didn't get the same kind of momentum, whether it be the, the initial business or the second business? And they're both clearly businesses just with different models. But I'm, I'm thinking of the listener right now who's tuning in and going, okay, so when do I, when do I call it quits? And when do I lean in and double down? And like looking for some values to figure out, am I just a couple calibrations off of a fit? Or is this a project that isn't, there's not enough legs for? How, how, do, how would you direct a friend in that conversation? Yeah, you know, with the event business, I, I feel like giving your all to your clients, there's a satisfaction for you, but for me, but there was also this satisfying a, a client and for me, it was, you know, we gained traction early in the event world, in the event space, but then, you know, things would take a lull for sure, for sure. And I reevaluated and really for me, it came down to time and energy and the money that I was making and was the time and energy that I was putting into the event space, into that business. Was it worth the, you know, staying up and until 12 o'clock at night? And was it worth the, the feeling inside that I got at the end of an event when I knew that we had left it all on the dance floor, literally? And for me, like I would, I would do check-ins for sure from an accounting standpoint, a literal accounting standpoint, but also to an, a standpoint of like, how am I feeling right now? Am I getting enough sleep to be able to get up again tomorrow with fire and excitement and serve clients. And those were kind of my key indicators. Personally, those are the ones that I kind of latched onto. In the, in the nonprofit space, for me, it's very different. Throwing birthday parties for kids, celebrating children that might not otherwise feel celebrated is enough because I felt called to it and because I realized that this is why I was created. This is my absolute purpose. And so if all it was, was my family month after month for one year, and it was throwing parties for kids that were living at Family Gateway, 60 kids a month for one year, and that's all we ever did, I will. I would have left feeling accomplished. I would have left that feeling like I had done exactly what I was supposed to do. Because I, again, like I said, because I felt called to it, it would have been enough. It would have been enough after a year. The fact that it continues to grow and that it continues to evolve makes me realize that we're actually playing in a much bigger space and that we have a much larger story to tell. And for that, I'm not giving up anytime soon. For that, I wake up every single day knowing that we have so many different people that are connecting to our story and our mission and that it's time to, you know, step up and, and play strong. Not only are the kids that we're celebrating with, not only is it the, the moms and dads that feel a great sense of relief when we come to celebrate their children. And that's not something that they have to worry about in their time of crisis, but also the, you know, these volunteers that bring their family members to come and volunteer together corporations that continue to grow together because they're all coming together to volunteer to folks that read about our story unfolding and are inspired to, you know, do something that they've always thought about doing. I, I realize now that our story is larger, but had it just been 12 months, I would have been completely satisfied knowing that we had done exactly what I had been asked to do. 
I love that so much <laughs> on so many levels because it really gives people a sense of freedom to go like, hey, so what? whatever people's sense of calling is, that they can put a constraint and a, and a reassessment moment on it, but they can be faithful and be all in in the short term and they can play at any level. But you're playing at a very big level right now. And I'm curious, and what's great about this question I'm going to say, this is, this is not a vanity question for Paige. This is a question for what are some metrics that connect the dots between resonance in the marketplace. Give me some give me some stats. Give me some details on the kinds of impact Birthday Party Project has made since your inception. Like where did you begin? What's happened since? I know you've gotten a ton of editorial press. A lot of people are paying attention. Talk a little bit about those things for the sake of the kids. Dane, this is the most uncomfortable question you could ever ask me. I know that you know this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, the the reason I'm asking is cuz it's like you said and we've already said this is not a it's none of it is about personal like we know this is not about personal success or what's happened. It's what it's about is if more people know about what's going on, more kids are going to get birthdays. And that's worth it to me. So that's why I'm willing to put my friend in an uncomfortable position. <laughs> so talk about it. And you know, this is why I'm willing to answer the question because it absolutely is 0% about me these days, which is such a relief actually, and so rewarding in the same time. So yes, so the Birthday Party Project, when we started in 2012, we partnered with one agency and we celebrated with 60 kids a month. We are, gosh, now we are celebrating 30 birthday parties a month in 12 different cities around the country. So we have grown from our, you know, humble grassroots to begin beginnings to what I hope is still humble, but bold, bold moves over the last couple of years. So 30 parties a month in 12 different cities. We are coast to coast, which I am incredibly proud of. We celebrate with over 1,200 kids a month. You know, homeless shelters have an influx of who are coming in and out. And so sometimes we'll have, you know, 1,100 kids in a, in a month that we're celebrating with. And sometimes we can have up to 1,400 kids a month that we're celebrating with. Our average is about 1,200. With that, we have celebrated over 3,100 birthdays with uh, 23,000 kids in attendance. We've had over 8,500 volunteers, our birthday enthusiasts, help us with our efforts over the last five years. We're coming up on our fifth birthday. I'm actually incredibly proud of those numbers. From a standpoint of having almost 10,000 birthday enthusiasts become involved with our project and attend a birthday party and help us you know, host these birthday parties, to me, that is tremendous. And I love that we're bringing people together from different economic backgrounds to come together and celebrate one another. That, to me, is, is probably what I'm most proud of. We've gained some recognition. We've been featured on Steve Harvey and The Chew, um, Today Show, gosh, New York Times, uh, recently in Glamour. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming to think about all those people that are believing in the power of a celebration. I know in our community, in the engaged community, it's been fun to see all these pros that were your colleagues before are now your volunteers. There's folks that are just lining up like, what, when can I participate? When, when are you coming to my town? And when can we do something here? And so there's a two-prong piece in this. One is just recognition of like all these colleagues that you're competing with are now lining up to be on the team, which I th that's got to be gratifying. And at the same time, there's this challenge of growth. Like now that you've hit this kind of zeitgeist in popular culture and all these publications want to promote and there's all these amazing numbers. I mean, th that's, those are just extraordinary numbers. Those are behind every one of those numbers is a real kid a real human being 
who, no stinking kidding, like I think of my own children, if they had never had a birthday, you and your team have facilitated that actually happening. And the dignity of who they are in God's creation, that's just amazing. So I celebrate all that. And you have this pragmatic approach of like, but we got to manage growth and we can only go to the city when certain things are in place. So like there's an idealism in what you're doing, but there's also a pragmatism of like, if we don't manage this well, this great thing will grow too quickly or we won't be set for viability. Can you talk a little bit about that tension? Absolutely. And and just to go back for a second on that shout out, you're right. The colleagues that I have been able to play in the same space with have been tremendous, if not the biggest catalyst for the growth and success of the Birthday Party Project. Truly, that's another, in my opinion, that is another way that people are using their talents to give back. So it's not necessarily that you have to, you know, you have these talents and you have to leave it all behind and go and start something new. That's, that's right. That's not even, that's not even close to accurate. God Gosh, if we all did that, we'd be spinning forever. But what I love is that they are taking what they have been given and they're finding ways to infuse themselves into the lives of others uh, completely, you know, unsolicited. I love that. I love it so much. But yeah, so this idea of scale and growth, my goodness, um, had we had this conversation two years ago, I probably would have looked at you with deers and headlights, just, oh my gosh, I don't even know, because we were we were living in this world of reaction. Everything was coming at us so quickly. People were getting excited about what we were doing. People wanted to volunteer. We had donors coming in and, and we were just, we were in this reactionary mode. And what what our team realized is that if we continue to only react, we will burn out very quickly. Not only we as individuals, but our donors and our volunteers. And so we really, you know, took time to assess what does great growth look like? If we are going to live by our core values, some of which are going bold, being good stewards, you know, loving each other, building each other up. I mean, if we're if we're talking about using some of our core values in our every single day actions, we really realize stewardship is not about necessarily all about money. It's also about time. We were spinning our wheels. So what we realized is that we needed to create some processes and some rhythms to our to our day and to our week. And you know, you go you go at a at such a high climb, a high fast climb, and then it was time to plateau a little bit and get best before bigger. What does that look like? You know, and, and for us it looked like how are we making sure that our parties are as magical as possible? How are we making sure that the kids that we are celebrating, like we have all their information correct, we're giving them, you know, we're putting time and attention to the gifts that we are giving to them, to the moments of the parties that we're giving them. How are we making sure that our volunteers feel our gratitude? You know, they're coming out and supporting us. How can we make sure that we are, you know, giving back the way that they're giving to us? So we really did assess. And for us, that looks like coming together as a team and talking about it. You know, we... We assess our core values weekly. We have meetings every single week to really talk about how we're living in our core values and what we're doing to become better. But then there was this moment of, gosh, you guys, we're we're going to lose control if we don't stop and take a moment to breathe deep and get back to basics. So we did. We did that a couple of years ago, and then we started to climb again. And as the opportunities are coming to us, and Dane, they come at us at a pretty fast pace. And I don't say that in a in a in a bragging way. I say that to being that we're just we're so grateful. Like it, there's so much energy behind this movement and, and our mission. But we have to remind ourselves that we're gonna we're gonna grow and we're gonna learn. We're gonna dig really deep and leave it all on the table. And then we're gonna take a couple of breaths and and stop for a moment because the children's stories that come from our parties 
are are just incredible. And we know that if we are going to continue to serve them and their families well, we have to continue to assess our values and how our business is growing around that. How is our model changing as we scale? Can I interject real quick? Can you share like just a a short touch point on like two or three of these actual kids? I I know that's, that's some of your favorite part of your work is when it gets very forget the big numbers, let's get to the little numbers and the individuals. And I'm wondering if you could share some of their stories. Absolutely. Oh, you might make me cry on this one. So one of my, of course, I mean, this is the power behind what we're doing. Recently, we were at a party at Safe Haven in Arlington, and I had the privilege of being there. And, you know, these, this is a domestic violence shelter. And so kids come and go and some of them can stay for, you know, 24 days and some of them stay for six to eight weeks and some of them a bit longer. So we have the opportunity as volunteers and as party coordinators to create relationships with some of these children. As I was getting all of the kids lined up outside the room, you know, we kind of do this like, are you ready to party? All the kids go crazy before they run through a tunnel of volunteers um, into our parties. And I, that's my favorite part. So I was outside the room getting all these kids ready and off to the side, I could see three teen girls all dressed alike, timid, not really sure what was going on. And so after we got all of the, you know, kids through this tunnel, I look over and I walked over to these girls who'd still not entered the party and introduced myself and said, Hey, have you been to one of our parties before? And they told us that they had just moved in yesterday. So I introduced myself to these teen girls, all three of them, their sisters, and their mom was kind of in the corner too. And I, and she was headed to a counseling session. So I waved at the mom and said, I'm going to take them into this birthday party. If you're okay with it. She said, birthday party. I said, yes. She said, it's my daughter's birthday this month. Oh my gosh. I want to make sure that. And I asked her what her name was. She said, my, her name is Olivia. And we had already received that information and we were celebrating Olivia's birthday that night. The mom looked at me with just this that look that moms can give one another and the, of just gratitude. And she fled off to her counseling session. Meanwhile, I take the girls into the party. They were incredibly shy. There are, you know, 50 kids running around this big gym. There's, it's a pirate and princess party. So that doesn't always resonate with our teens, even though we have, you know, things that teens can do. Well, one of our volunteers a couple of months earlier put a manicure set into our party containers, our party bins, realizing that we were getting more and more teens through the doors. So we take out this manicure set and we start painting nails with these teens. And I'm hearing all about their stories and how much they love their mom and how they had been at four different schools over the last two years trying to get away from their dad. And as this, as their stories are unfolding, I'm realizing that I have been given such a gift in that moment to understand who they are and let them be heard. And Olivia didn't even know that we were there celebrating her birthday, not even during that time. So we brought her over and gave her a birthday badge that said, my birthday rocks. And her sister's eyes lit up. They were so proud to be around her, their sister at that time, knowing that we were about to celebrate her. So when it came time to to, um, singing happy birthday and blowing out the candles, we lined up our birthday kids. And Olivia, of course, was one of them. We called her by name. And I I swear she grew two feet taller (laughs) when we yelled her name. (laughs) We started cheering for her. She just stood up with pride. Her sisters were front and center with their mom's phone taking pictures. And as we were giving her her gift, her mom came over and hugged me tightly, just tears running down her face. 
um, you could tell that there was signs of abuse on her on her neck and that on her face. And we just held each other for what seemed like ever. When she finally gained her composure, she said that she was so grateful to us for being there. She had just moved in the day before. She had no idea how she was going to celebrate her daughter's birthday, which was the next day. And that she was glad that she'd be here for a few months because her other daughter's birthdays were the next months after that. Oh my gosh. In this moment, I realized that everything we were doing was so important, so critical to their story and their journey. And I was so proud of our birthday enthusiasts who had loved them well during that party. It was a moment that I will never forget. Well, I know there are people like me all over the place hearing just those three girl stories and the mom and there's so many stories connected to that, right? The, the volunteers, yours, the people blowing up balloons, like there's a lot of people who are like ready to chomp at the bit and how can they get involved? If folks are listening to this and they're like, I just want to find out a little bit more. And then I have one last question at the end, but I, I want to make sure that people hear this part. If let's say they hear this and they're like, I want to, I want to buy some birthday parties for people. How, where can I make a donation? Or I want to, if it does come to my city, I want to participate in a local shelter or they just want to stay in the loop. Talk a little bit about where people can go to find out more. Yeah. Um, definitely visit our website at the birthday party project.org and visit us on Instagram. We share some pretty awesome stories about our kids, our birthday enthusiasts, our partners um, that are all rallying together to make big things happen for our kiddos. Well, okay. So last question. And this is this is a, a little interesting one for me because like you before, like it's hard to talk about the things that I'm doing on my own, like the, the projects I'm doing because I, I, I enjoy talking about other people's projects. But I also recognize that, you know, we're in this effort right now, as you know, we're putting on this conference in uh, January called the Go Summit. And it's meant to really focus on helping people get from learning ideas to putting them into action. And that's not an easy task all the time. There's a lot of really great ideas, a lot of great conferences, a lot of great like things going on there in the marketplace on ways to help people do stuff. But a lot of it is strategic. It's not tactical. Like, how am I going to get something done? And like you said earlier on, there's this weird tension of not knowing how to do something, but committing to doing it anyways, and having to throw yourself into a position where you want to learn how to do that well and go out there. I'm really interested to find out, like when you go get your own professional development and you go, you know, have your board or you have people engaging and you're asking for help, where have you found the most help? Like what have been the kinds of activities you've done that have made the biggest difference for you? And I'm asking this selfishly because these are the kinds of things that we want to integrate in because they've whatever input has gone into your world, it's come out in some pretty amazing and beautiful ways. And we want to be the kinds of folks that are contributing to that sort of thing. So I'm asking selfishly, but I'm also asking because I want our listeners to think in terms, whether they go to the Go Summit or not, that's not the point. It's that they're going somewhere, that they're getting some kind of input, that they're doing more than listening to a podcast that they're investing in themselves in a way where they could put themselves in a position to actually fulfill the calls that are on their lives, even when they don't know how to do it yet. Right, right. Well, I do think that Go Summit's a great place to be able to um, to be poured into. And I think that there, there are a lot of opportunities like that. I've had the, a tremendous amount of support from communities like that. I think that when you go to places 
like Go Summit. I recently had the privilege of being a part of something called Praxis, which is kind of a nonprofit accelerator forum. Engage is another one. LeaderCast. I mean, there's so many different leadership places that you can go, right? But learning and absorbing that information, writing it down once does nothing if you don't actually put it into action. For me specifically, Dane, I need that level of accountability. So for me, that looks like putting around the table, the smartest people I know, and I truly mean around a table and interacting with them often. I ask hard questions to them about how they got to where they are. And I I take copious amounts of notes on these, you know, even if I got 10 minutes with someone that I've always admired, I take full advantage of those 10 minutes of writing it down and then putting it into action. And I have an accountability group. They're actually spread all around the country. Nobody is here locally in Dallas. But these people are those that truly hold me to my goals. And so writing down your goals is one thing, but taking the step to understand how to budget is another or how to fill out the forms to become incorporated, you know, actually writing down something like, you know, getting online and going ahead and reserving your dot com. That takes a that takes a tremendous amount of courage. And so for me, it's about surrounding my, myself with those that will hold me accountable, those that have either walked the walk and, and I can learn from or that will just listen, you know, and, and really listen to what's kind of going on personally and professionally and offer sound advice. You know, often when you jump into something or you're considering jumping into something, there are so many facets of that, that it seems overwhelming because there are so many different parts that have to be taken care of and juggled all at once. But I really do believe in taking the first step towards something. Don't do it all at once. Just, just do one thing and get that mastered. And then you can kind of build upon that. In my mind, that was the best and greatest way for me to be able to position ourselves well. Hey, Chanel, I'm a better person because I know you. Thank you so, so much for being on Converge today. I have to say, I am thrilled to be a part of this, Dane, and ditto. You have given us such a gift through this podcast. I'm really grateful to be a part of it. This is episode nine, season two of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Music today provided by Triple Scoop Music, the leading music service for creative professionals. Find the perfect song for your next project at triplescoopmusic.com. Fastermind.co is home base for all things Converge. It's also where you can find exactly what you need to make real change happen. Like ever want to ditch your not-so-smart smartphone addiction? Knock that out this week. No kidding. Find out more at Fastermind.co. Until then, I'm Dane Sanders. I cannot wait until next time.